So the last will be first, and the first will be last. What do you think? Does that sound good to you? It sounds good if you're at the back of the line, doesn't it? Sounds good if the cashier says, you know what, let's switch things up. Let's start at the end. My last name, you know, is Uppold, so I always liked when the first got to go first. I never liked when we were told, you know, we're going to go in reverse alphabetical order. I liked being first. But Jesus says to us today, in no uncertain terms, the last shall be first, and the first last. Sound good? Or sound a little bit foreboding? Or maybe it's a little bit of both. That is the way our Lord often teaches, isn't it? There's a little bit of something for everyone, and even in just a short phrase, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, our master can pack all kinds of goodness and all kinds of warnings into just a few simple words. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Easy enough to remember Easy enough to take to heart, easy enough to carry around with you throughout your whole life. And in that simple phrase, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, there is a wonderful promise. There is also a serious warning. Jesus had just gotten done talking with a rich young man. Do you remember this story? The rich young man came to Jesus and said to him, Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, Well, you know the commandments. And he said, Yeah, I know them. I've done them all. And Jesus said, One thing you lack, me. Go sell all that you have and come follow me. And the young man went away sad because he couldn't do it. And so Jesus started talking to his disciples and he was telling them, Look, guys, How difficult it will be for the rich to inherit eternal life. How difficult it will be. And you know what the disciples said? They said, well, Jesus, if the rich people can't do it, then what hope do we have? If those who are first, if those who have it all, if those who are the most important in the world, if they can't get in, what hope is there for the least? What hope is there for the poor and the lowly? What hope is there for those who don't have money? After all, can't money get you anything and get you anywhere? And so Jesus told them, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible, and the last shall be first. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? That the last, those who are least, those who can't make their own way, those who can't earn their own way, those who can't pay their own way, that they have a place in the kingdom of God. That's the promise of this parable, isn't it? That the least, the lowliest, the worst off, the sinner who is furthest away is not outside of God's reach. That there is no one in this world who has been born into the world for whom Christ did not die. Not a single person, not a single person in this room, not a single person in this world does not have the opportunity to enter the kingdom. The last shall be first. And so Jesus illustrates that with this parable. The promise of the parable is this, that the least, those who are lowest, those who are the most outcast, those who could never claim to belong, that they have a place in God's kingdom. And that includes each and every one of you who has ears in this room today. That includes each and every one of you who God has given a heart and a soul and and feet and hands. That includes each and every one of you. So hear it and mark it well. Here is the promise of Christ. You have a place in God's kingdom. You who are least, you who are last, 
shall indeed be first. And to make that come home, Jesus tells the parable. And when you hear that parable, there is this wonderful promise that comes out so clearly, that's seen so well in the action and the activity of the master. Look at this guy. Look at what he does. And compare him to your own bosses. Do any of you have a boss like this? Do any of you who have, have a boss who goes out early in the morning and says, come on, let's go into the vineyard? Who goes out again at the third hour and says, come on, let's go into the vineyard? Who goes out again at the sixth hour and says, come on, let's go into the vineyard? At the ninth hour, let's go into the vineyard? At the 11th hour, let's go into the vineyard. We might have bosses who are always looking for employees, but how do bosses in our world usually work? They work like this. Well, let's see what the profit margins are. Let's make sure you're qualified. Let's make sure you can submit a resume first. Let me check your references. Let me make sure that you're fit to do this work. Let me, sure that, let me make sure that you're trained, and let me make sure that you're not overqualified, and let me make sure, let me check all of these things, and above all, let me make sure I don't hire too many people. Because see, if you hire too many people, what happens? All of your profits go out the window. how different the king of heaven is. The Lord Jesus doesn't look at a profit margin sheet. The Lord Jesus never lines up the numbers and says, well, I guess maybe I could hire one more part-time person. We've got room for a, you know, a 20-hour-a-week kind of a guy. No, the Lord Jesus says, come on, let's go. If you're in the world, come into the vineyard. He pays no attention to the cost. He pays no attention even to what the vineyard is producing, does he? Did you notice what's missing in the parable? Did you notice that there's no reference to, you know, what isn't, what the master is not watching? He's not going at the second hour and saying, how productive are these workers being? He's not going out at the fourth hour and saying, well, how many grapes are left? Can I let some of these guys go? Seems like his only concern is hiring people. Would you last like that if you were that kind? Would you last in this world if you ran your business like that? If your only concern was bringing more and more and more and more people in? I think you'd probably lose your job pretty quick. The stockholders would say, look, you're not really making that much money for us. Time for you to go. But in the kingdom of heaven, there are no stockholders. In the kingdom of heaven, there is only concern for the laborers. In the kingdom of heaven, it is not profits that are counted, but the Lord Jesus wants to pay wages out. He wants to give the reward of eternal life to every last worker. He's kind of higher crazy. That's my point, isn't he? He's higher crazy. And in that, we see the generosity of this man beyond our wildest imagination. He is excessive, isn't he? He is excessive in his hiring practices. You kind of almost want to interrupt Jesus and say, look, okay, it's the sixth hour. You've got enough guys. You don't need any more. It's the ninth hour. Don't go back out there again. It's the 11th hour, Jesus. What are you doing? Why are you still hiring people into the vineyard? Don't you know? Don't you know they aren't going to get anything done today? Just wait until tomorrow. But in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is urgent in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is in a rush. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus wants to bring people in to his vineyard. And more than getting something out of them, he wants to give to them. 
Isn't that what you see when it's payday? At the end of the day, he tells the foreman, look, why don't you pay everybody up? And you can imagine, you can put yourself in the foreman's shoes. You can think how he must be doing the math, right? Okay, let's take a denarius and divide it by 12. And the guy who came at the end is going to get a twelfth of a denarius. And the guy who came at the ninth hour, he can have, what's three twelfths? One quarter of a denarius. And the guy who came at the sixth hour, what's six twelfths? You didn't know you were going to get a math lesson today, did you? That's half a denarius. And the guy who came at the third hour, he can have three quarters. And the people who were hired first, they can have the full wage. But look how excessive the Lord Jesus is, for he is the one who is truly the owner of the vineyard. He pays everybody a full wage. He gives everybody a full wage, and we're not even told that he runs a report on them, right? He doesn't sit down and say, now let's conduct an exit interview. Did you really line up to my expectations? How many grapes did you pick today? How much work did you do for me? Did you do all of the things that I wanted? No, he just says, pay them all. In the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus doesn't look at prophets. Jesus looks at the people and says, let's go. And how much can I give? Not how much can I get out of them, but how much can I give to them? It is excessive, is it not? It is almost excessive to the the point of embarrassment. Imagine being one of those 11th hour workers who comes into the vineyard and really doesn't do much. I mean, how much can you really get done in an hour? Okay, you're going to go over there and you're going to take care of those grapes. Well, by the time you get out to your vine, the day is over. And then you show up in front of the foreman and he gives you a full wage. Can you imagine the shock that must have been in those people's minds? Can you imagine the embarrassment? I didn't do anything to deserve this. How could I possibly get a full day's wage? Because the master wants to be generous. Can't I do what I want with what belongs to me, Jesus says? And here is the wonder, here is the promise of this parable, that the Lord Jesus wants to be gracious. The Lord Jesus is not stingy. The Lord Jesus is not greedy. The Lord Jesus is generous. Your Jesus is generous. Mark it well, treasure it up in your hearts, for this is how he wants to deal with each and every one of you. Whether you were called when you were little, or you were called when you were older, or you were called in the middle of your life, the Lord Jesus wants to be gracious. He is excessive in his love. He is rich in his mercy. He is generous with his forgiveness. So take it and treasure it. But in the parable, there is also a warning, isn't there? The last shall indeed be first. That's the promise. But there's a warning. There's a warning that we do well to pay attention to. The first shall be last. Now, when Jesus said that to his disciples right before this parable, he was talking about that rich man who, in the eyes of the world, everyone thought was powerful and impressive and important. And Jesus was saying, that which the world thinks is so wonderful is not really that important. Money, fame, wealth, status, power, all of those things, you can't earn your way into the kingdom of heaven. But there is this warning. Those who are called first should never become arrogant Listen to what Jesus says to those first workers who were frustrated. Listen to what Jesus says to those first workers who were a little bit, you know, 
what's the right word? What's a good word to use from the pulpit? They were a little bit upset with Jesus, weren't they? But Jesus said to them, do you begrudge my generosity? And the Greek, that's the translation. The Greek is a little more vivid. It says, is your eye evil because I am so good? What happened to those workers? Didn't they know that the first shall be last? What happened to those workers is the warning. This is what happens often to Christians. We get things all twisted up. We get things all confused. Hey, look, we've been working hard in the kingdom of God. We've been living the holy life of faith in Christ and love for our neighbors. And it's not easy, you know? It's not easy being a disciple of Jesus. The world doesn't pat us on the back. They don't say, you know, that's really the right thing to do. You, have, you Christians have all the right opinions about things. Good for you. That's especially true in our day and age. The world sneers at Christians. The world looks at the things that you believe and the things that you do and the things that you hold most dear and says, oh, that's just a bunch of child stuff. That's just a bunch of mythology. That's just a bunch of hocus pocus. That's just a bunch of wishful thinking. Why do you dedicate your life to that? Why do you work so hard in the ki- in, for the kingdom of heaven? Why do you labor in the vineyard? Don't you know that the real joys in life are out in other places? It's easy to feel like we're a little bit forgotten. We who've been called into the kingdom, we who have a place in the vineyard, who have labored and worked in the heat of the day and borne many different burdens and many different difficulties, it's easy for us to get the idea that Jesus should give us a whole lot more than what he gives us. I wish things were like they used to be, we say. If only things were like they were in the 1950s, we think. If only we could get back to a time when everything was much easier. If only I could have lived in a different time, in a different place, and a different age. If only Jesus had seen to things a little bit different. If only he had arranged the details of my life differently. If only he had put me in that family. If only he had given me that job. If only, if only, if only. See, I've borne the heat of the day, and I've had many burdens, and he owes me, you know? Those who suppose that they should become first, there is a warning, will be last. They thought that their work was harder than the wage, that they deserved more than what the master would give them. But how could the master give them any more than what Jesus promises to you? You have the promise of the forgiveness of sins. You have the blessed hope of eternal life. What is he holding back from you? What has Jesus not given you? Has he not given you the life that you thought you should have? Maybe he has something better in mind. Perhaps it is that the Lord Jesus knows better than we do. Is it possible? Is it possible that the Lord Jesus is wiser than me? Is it possible that he has given me my place in this world right now? That he has called me precisely at this moment to live in this time and to face the challenges that I face right now? It's not just possible, dear friends, it's the gospel truth. Christ Jesus makes no mistakes. He doesn't call you at the wrong time. He doesn't get you in the wrong place. He doesn't arrange your life and say, oops, I guess I got the names all messed up. I guess I made a paperwork error. 
Christ has called you at just the right time. He has put you here at just this moment. He has called you in just this place. And his reward, his payment, far exceeds anything you could ever ask or imagine. See, that's the problem that those workers had, and that's the problem that we often have. We get so narrow-minded, right? We get focused on the here and now, and we say, Jesus should make it better right now. And Jesus says, I have treasures laid up for you that do not rust. I have treasures laid up that no thief can ever steal. I have treasures laid up and prepared for you that make the sufferings of this world not even worth thinking about. The Lord Jesus is excessive in his grace. He is rich in his mercy. He is wonderful in his love. Never forget that. Never suppose that you are suffering beyond what he has seen. Never suppose that he has forgotten. Never suppose that his wage is unfair. There is a second warning in the parable too. It's not quite as obvious as that one about grumbling. The warning is this, that we would trifle with God's grace. The epistle reading and the Old Testament reading really drill this home for us this morning. That we would trifle with God's grace. That we would suppose, you know what, this master is really excessive in his grace. How can I take advantage of him? This is the way employees often think about their bosses, don't they? I mean, none of you would ever do this, right? But you know, when you're 16 years old, all you think about is how you can get the most for doing the least. No employee would ever do that. None of you would ever think that way. There's a warning about this. Don't suppose that the kingdom of heaven and work in the vineyard is some terrible burden and you want to avoid it at all costs. Ooh, maybe I can be one of those 11th hour workers. Maybe I can do the least and still get the full denarius. For the truth is this, dear friends, if you are ready to accept it, if you're ready to believe it, work in the vineyard is better than being idle in the marketplace. Work in the vineyard is far better than standing idle in the marketplace. The world doesn't know what they're missing out on. Those who do not love the Lord Jesus, those who do not know the holy life of faith in Christ and love for the neighbor, they suppose what? They suppose that this world is all about piling up wealth and going on vacations, but you know something far better, that it is in the life of faith and love that life is most lived, that it is in following the commandments of Jesus that we don't just bear the burden of the day and the heat of the day, but we find our true purpose in this world. For we were not put here to stand idle and to stare at ourselves and say, how can I take care of myself? We were put into this world to serve the Lord Jesus and find in service to him and to our neighbors a true calling, a calling worth being proud about, a calling worth pursuing, a calling worth saying, I want to show up at the first hour, not the 11th hour. I want more work, Lord Jesus. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Take that message to heart today, dear friends. Treasure the promise, take heed to the warning, and trust your Lord Jesus. Rejoice, for though you are least in the eyes of the world, you are treasured by him, the last shall be first.